Welcome along to Premier.tv. I'm Justin Briley and my special guest on today's program is Francis Chan. He's a US church leader and an author. Francis, it's great to have you with me in the studio today. Thanks, good to be here. Um, you've got a really interesting story, Francis. You've been in charge of this growing, vibrant church in Southern California. You're, it sounds like a pastor's dream, warm weather, a great congregation, but you're giving it all up and you're not quite sure what the coming year holds for you. Many people would ask, are you crazy? <laughs> uh, and sometimes I ask myself the same question. But it, it's, it's, you know, I, I think about when we started the church, it was a crazy idea. And like so many things in life, you can get comfortable after a while and stop living by faith. And then you sense the Holy Spirit leading you to something new, but you want to hold on to that security and what you know but that'll kill you. You just end up getting so bored in life and you don't experience the supernatural. And so there, there's certainly an element of, uh, I don't know if it's fear, but it's just an uneasiness about being uncertain about the future. But there's also this just a new life for me, for my family of just going, okay, this is what our life's about is the mission. And we believe the Holy Spirit is leading us to a a new place, so let's just start moving and we'll figure it out from there. I'd like to come back to that later on, okay. but perhaps take us back to the beginning. Where did uh, kind of your Christian life start for you? Did you grow up in a Christian family? I, I actually grew up, uh, I was raised by my grandmother who was Buddhist and came to the Lord later, but I had a strange upbringing because my mother died while she was giving birth to me. And then uh, my dad remarried and then my stepmother died in a car accident when I was around eight or nine. And then my dad got married again, and then he died of cancer when I was 12. And so it was during those junior high, high school years when I was trying to figure life out that I really came to a personal relationship with Christ and, and really began to embrace who God was and understanding the Bible. And it became everything to me. And that's when I started telling all my friends about it, and I guess I never stopped. I mean, in a way, I, I don't in any way want to kind of analyze, overanalyze, but yeah. it could be said that obviously losing all those parental figures so early on in your life, was that anything that sparked from that into you obviously getting so intimate with God, you know, that, that yeah. God became the parent in your life? A absolutely. It's, it's uh, in fact, sometimes I look at my kids and I go, gosh, do they have it too easy? They have a mom and dad who love each other and they're both alive, <laughs> you know, because I, I look back and I think, Again, it's that uncertainty and that uh, I have no one else to depend on. Uh, our family was not close. Um, there wasn't a lot of support there. And so you learn to depend on God and God alone. You make your decisions on that, on Him and, and pleasing Him. You start to see the hand of God on your life at an early age. And I, I learned to love that. He really became my father in, in so many ways. And it's not just a cliche or a song I sing, it's, wow, he, he's it for me. And even now I look back in life and, um, and, and that's why I can make moves like this. Mm. I, I go, God's been faithful all these years. He's taken me through crazy situations. And so yeah, to move to a new location or to start a new work really isn't that big a deal. Things have not changed because God has been the constant in my life. You say establishing Cornerstone Church in Simeon, California mm -hmm. was in itself a bit of a crazy thing to do. Yeah. How did that all start in the first place? It, it, my wife and I, we, were, we had just gotten married. It, it was probably two or three weeks into the marriage when I looked at my wife and I said, 
I know we've never talked about this, but I think God wants me to start a, a church. And uh, it, it, it was a crazy time because I told her, I go, I don't know if anyone's going to show up, so you'll have to support us and you'll have to uh, take care of us financially if that's okay. And I'm going to try to start this church and if nothing happens, I'll wait tables or do whatever I need to do. But let's just see. And the whole premise was, I, I go, I, I just want to, I want to be with a group of people who are, who are real. I, I don't care how many there are. I, I don't care for a big crowd. I just want to know that when we get together, that we're opening up this book, the Bible, and, and we're saying whatever it says, and we're really trying to do it. And, and when we worship, we're really singing to Him. I don't want to worry about where money's going, or is this real, or is that real? I just want a real experience. Did you have any training up to this point, theological training or, or training to be a pastor? I did, I did, and I was doing youth ministry, mm. and I had been involved in different churches. I guess I just felt like, not that all these other churches were wrong, but I felt like the Lord was leading me into something new. What then happened? Because you started off, I think, with a handful of people, yeah. you know, your first Sunday or yeah. whatever. But within five years or so, it yeah. was about one and a half thousand people yeah. getting together. I mean, that's extraordinary to me, yeah. growth. What, what was the ingredient? I, I, I think it's one of those unexplainable things because God just blesses certain things. or, or he is, it's, it's all up to him. He chooses what's going to prosper and what won't. And I don't, I don't. I don't dare pretend that I'm the most spiritual person or I, I prayed more than anyone else or I'm more gifted than anyone else. From, the, from early on, we just saw that the hand of God was on it because I made some really, really dumb mistakes. I mean, really dumb mistakes because I, I didn't know the first thing about running a church or starting a church. And, and so I've just got this group of people and, and I go, ah, what do you want to call it? And someone said, how about Cornerstone? I'm like, Okay, that's fine. Um, you know, I said, okay, someone's got to watch the kids. And some lady said, I'll watch the kids. I'm like, okay, you're in charge. I don't know. You know, she could have been a child molester. I, I don't know anything about these people. We're just, you know, I, I go, someone's got to take an offering. And this guy goes, oh, I'll take the money. And he takes all the money. And, and uh, here, here's, here's where we saw God's hand. Okay, the guy that was collecting all the money, he got in a fight with another guy in the church before we even started. And he, he handed all the money back and goes, I quit. Wow, that's crazy. Now I don't have a treasurer. Um, so, you know, luckily we had someone else who stepped in. But like two months later, the guy who was our treasurer got arrested for embezzling money from his company and was put in federal prison. And I just felt like, wow, thank you, Lord. You made him get in that fight. You got him out of there. Otherwise, we would have started this church and had this big scandal of our treasures in prison sure, right now. Sure. But there were so many things where God's going, Francis, you're doing it. You know, it's, it's cute. You're trying to start this church, but you're doing so much wrong. I'll fix it for you. And, and that's a story of my life. It's I, just God coming alongside. Inevitably, like, like I'm sure many a pastor, you started this church with kind of just passion and enthusiasm really wow. as, as, as the main things that were kind of driving things. I mean, obviously as the church grows, yeah. you, you get so many complications come up. And, mm -hmm. and I, I heard you in a recent sermon say how, you know, when it started up, you know, you could kind of say what you wanted. Now, because your sermons are listened to by thousands of people around the yeah. world, the way you express something makes the difference between getting 50 or 500 emails <laughs> the next day. Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with that? Because it has become such a public ministry. How do you keep, in a sense, that sense of spontaneity, passion? 
It's, it's really hard. Um, and in fact, that's part of the reason for me to unplugging from the public for a little while is I'm starting to question myself. I'm, I'm questioning my boldness, my courage, going, okay, is this still me, you know, or has all of this uh, notoriety gotten to me? Am I too concerned about what people think now? Am I worried about, uh, you know, book ratings, podcast rate? Let me just get away from everyone and get alone with the Lord again and maybe come out of that time with a, a fresh boldness because it does affect you. I, I, I fight it, I fight it, I fight it, but there are times when I just realize I'm being way too impacted by people. Is it, is it a little like, I don't know, that situation in the book of Acts where Paul confronts Peter because mm. he seems to have uh, mm. maybe gone back on his principles and he's, he's, he's acting differently because a certain wow. group of people have have suggested that the, the I, I never thought said, of that, said, but that's true. Have said, you know, oh, you should be doing it this way, and, and Paul, Paul pulls him up and says, "What are you doing?" You're, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Is that a kind of comparable kind of? Yeah, yeah. Probably. I hate to compare myself to Peter, <laughs> but you know, it's it's similar to that. I, I I think I I think until I get away from the crowd, I, I won't even know what's wrong with me, <laughs> or I won't even know all the issues I have. Like, I, I think maybe I just don't even see myself clearly anymore. And I was watching, I was at a friend's house, this was years ago, and there was a reality TV show on. Um, it, was, uh, it was Jessica Simpson, and it, it was just kind of a dumb show where they were uh, following her around her house and, and, you know, with her husband, and they were supposed to be acting naturally. And, and I thought, that's impossible. You can't act naturally when you've got cameramen in your house and lighting guys and sound guys and directors, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's, I guess it's similar to that. I, I think, I wonder if I'm really acting naturally because mm. how can I act naturally if I know people are listening or watching? Doesn't that always affect us to some degree? Uh, it, it's inevitable that there's a kind of alternative reality you enter when you go into a certain I don't know, stratosphere of, mm -hmm. of recognizability within yeah. a certain subculture, I suppose. I, I, I appreciate it's very hard to deal with. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel then that unplugging is going to help? Um, I mean, it occurs to me that whatever you go on to do, you're probably going to do successfully because you're a kind of driven person. I mean, yeah. are you going to run into the same problem that, you know? Yeah, I think for a period of time, I want to be somewhat obscure and and so, uh, as a family, we'll probably go to some third world country where, where they don't know who I am <laughs> and, uh, and don't really care. Um, really, when you get to some of these impoverished areas, they could care less. Mm. They just want to be fed or cared for or loved, and they don't care who you are. I just I want to be in that environment. And, and when I return to the States, um, I'd, I'd really love to find a way to maybe be more of a cheerleader for other people's ministries, take some of these young guys and really uh, build into their lives and, and launch them. And I, I don't know, whatever the Lord leads me to do, I'll, I'll do, I believe. Um, but I personally would love to just disciple other guys and put them to the forefront. Let's talk about some of your books, Francis. Okay. Uh, Crazy Love came out uh, a couple of years ago. Um, it urges people to get a better picture of God do you think we've lost sight of God's holiness in our sort of Western Christianity? Absolutely, without a doubt. You know, we read the New Testament and it, it speaks a lot about the grace of God and um, this relationship and this intimacy we can have with Him. 
Um, but we forget that these people at that time already had a great understanding of the fear of the Lord and this reverence and the holiness of God. And so now, here 2,000 years later, we focus on some of these New Testament teachings without the background of understanding that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, that's emphasized in the New Testament too, and certainly through, you know, towards the end of the book of Revelation, you see that God's a holy God. But it, it seemed like there was just this trend in churches a while back where we would make fun of those hellfire and brimstone preachers. Ah, oh, you know, those, those old-time pastors. And, and you look at the scriptures, you go, but that's what the scriptures teach. And, and as the world influenced the church, sadly, uh, and made us feel silly for believing in a hell or believing in a God who was all-powerful and could strike people down, you know, we as a church almost flowed with the culture and go, yeah, yeah, God's not really like that anymore. And, and, and yet you read the scriptures and go, sure he is. He was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, let's, not, let's not be swayed by the culture. Let's go back to what the, the truth has always been from the beginning and has never been popular. I mean, that's what we're called to do. Do you feel then things like, I don't know, the seeker-sensitive movement have maybe been to blame for kind of making God too much your, your best friend and your pal and yeah. the guy who you kind of turn to when you need some help rather than the yeah. driving impulse of your life. I, I certainly think there's elements of the seeker-sensitive movement that have had an effect on that. Um, but it depends on how you define it. It's all semantics. I think at the end of the day, we, we, we have to make sure we don't get embarrassed of the character of God and what he is like, even if it is unpopular in the world. And, you know, the, like I think of Luke 6.26, where he says, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that's how your fathers treated the false prophets. You know, but you look at the true prophets and they were always rejected. And that's, that's another part of my life where I'm constantly keeping in check because I go, Lord, you, you tell me that at the end, people won't put up with sound doctrine and to be careful when you get too popular because that's the way the false prophets were treated. But the true prophets were always persecuted. And so sometimes I look at my life and I go, God, I don't think I'm supposed to be this popular. Is there something in my life that mm -hmm. I'm watering down? Is there part of a message that I'm, I'm so wanting to please people or wanting to be liked that I'm not willing to say? Because I want to say it all. I don't want to end my life uh, having fooled myself when in reality I just want to please people and be liked and be popular. I don't want that. I want to end and know God, I, I said it all. I, I didn't hold back. I wasn't ashamed. And so as a church, we have to be very careful of that, that we don't go down these roads mm. that, that too many people have gone down before. You seem to be quite critical in a way of American Christianity. You feel like, I mean, you ask in the book, are we missing it? You know, yeah. is this really what was intended mm. at Pentecost 2,000 years yeah. ago? And, and you seem to have found a lot of people who are similarly exactly. maybe worried that we, we haven't got this right. Yeah, that was a question I used to be scared to ask because I thought maybe it's just me because I look around church and it seems like everyone's okay with it. Everyone seems happy. Everyone seems fine. Why is there this internal struggle every time I read the Bible of feeling like what we're doing doesn't match up to this book? It seems like there's so much more, but doesn't seem like it's bothering anyone else. So I'll just keep quiet. Maybe I'm just going crazy. But then once I brought it up, 
all these heads start nodding. And, and I think there is a, I know, there's a lack of peace in so many people. It's those who get alone with the Word of God and, and hear from the Holy Spirit as they're reading the Word, they know we're being lukewarm. They know there's more and there isn't as much peace as sometimes we pretend there is in our lives because we look at the way those early believers lived and what they were willing to sacrifice and we're looking at our lives and going, this doesn't match up. And yet, during the times in our lives when we do put ourselves at risk, those are the only times we really feel peace. We go, and possibly the only times we feel truly alive in a way. It, it is, it is. And we experience God versus just going to a comfortable situation and, and, and trying to feel Him. No, it's when we're out suffering and, and living like a New Testament believer that we truly experience Him. You do take that injunction in Revelation quite seriously, this idea that God will spit out mm. a lukewarm Christian. Yeah. Um, many people may feel uncomfortable with that, you know, well, what about grace? What about the fact that it's not about what we do, it's yeah. it, God accepts us on the basis of what he's done for us. Absolutely. How, how do you kind of balance that? Yeah, but, but when you look at his grace, his grace is shown in changing us and making us like his son. Um, that passage, you know, it's interesting, even that phrase, lukewarm Christian, I don't, I don't see that in the scripture. He refers to these people as lukewarm, and he also refers to them as blind, naked, poor, wretched, pitiable. And he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're, you're lukewarm. Now, I don't see that as a description of a believer, So, are as a you Christian. saying that if you are lukewarm, basically, you're not a Christian? That's what I see in Revelation 3. I don't know how you can read that passage and call that person a Christian because a Christian's not going to be spit out of the mouth of God. I, I, I mean, that's quite a significant statement because it would suggest then that on the face of it, you see a lot of churches in America that are simply full of people who aren't actually Christians. Absolutely. Because you, it's always been that way. Um, and, and Jesus explains, look, it's going to be the wheat and the tares. It's, it's going to be this group of people that grow together in the time of harvest. He's going to show who's for real. Um, you know, you, it's, from the beginning of that book, you see Israel, and yet he says not all of Israel, everyone who's, you know, Israel by nationality is true Israel. There, there'll be that remnant. There'll be those believers within that midst. And in the same way as there are millions and millions of people gathering in what we call these church buildings, um, those aren't all followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus says you can look at their lifestyles and you can tell that. First John says there'll be people who say that they know him, but he says, but because they don't obey his commands, he says they're liars. Um, it doesn't say, oh, you know, maybe they're believers that haven't changed yet. He just says, no, you can look at their lifestyles and, and know that they're liars and there's this wide road that leads to destruction and many will go through it but there's this narrow road that leads to life and few will find it and we want to we want to tell the world just like the world wants to say everyone's going to heaven there is no hell um, and the church almost follows suit with that of saying we're all believers you know in this room because we all prayed a prayer at some point in our life I just don't see that in the scriptures I mean some may say goodness how on earth did your church grow in the way it has if this was the way you were challenging people every week? Um, <laughs> this is not kind of seeker-sensitive Christianity in yeah. that way. I mean, do, do you feel then that, I don't know, 
living up to the challenge of scripture actually is more attractive in its way than a kind of dumbed down kind of I, I think for the true believer it is. I think the Holy Spirit makes us long for that. E even though in our flesh we resist it and, and we, I, I, I in the flesh want to be comfortable. I want to be rich. I want to just take it easy and be all about me. But something inside, the Holy Spirit himself just, he won't let me gravitate that way. Uh, you know, Romans says that we're a slave to righteousness now. And and so when we hear truth, we're, 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 we're enslaved to that. It's, oh, I know that's true, and I want it. I do want it. I do want it in the core of me. Even though my flesh is fighting, I know that's what I have to go with. And so I think that believers do gravitate toward that true teaching. And, um, and that's not to say that we don't have hypocrites, you know, at Cornerstone. There, there are plenty of fake people, and, and you see that over time. Um, it's like that parable of the soils. They stick around, but once the trials come and once the temptation comes, you realize they really never had any root in themselves. So, moving on from Cornerstone, mm -hmm. is it because of itchy feet or is it just you really feel like this is what God's calling you to do at this time? I do. I do believe it's a calling of God that has been on my life for the last few years, but I just don't believe it was right, the right timing. And my wife also felt the same thing, and, and we've had more and more talks about it, especially over the last year. Um, it, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of reasons. One is in the town we're at, there are a lot of churches, there are a lot of good believers, and even my church itself, the elders are so strong and such, such godly God-fearing, Bible-believing men who will not water things down. And so I go, okay, the church is in great hands. And so if I just move half an hour away, there are literally millions of people and very few people who want to go in that environment. Um, I, also, I also look at the life of Christ and I, I look at his example, um, even Philippians 2, of, of leaving heaven. and and what he really could grasp, but he didn't consider that equality with God something to be held on to, but he, he humbled himself and made himself nothing. And you know, First John three sixteen talks about how he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And my wife and I have been talking about how can I really give a picture of Christ unless I too lay down comforts and and freedoms that uh, that people say, oh, it's okay for you to live here in this comfortable area and do this. I go, I, I know it's okay, mm -hmm. but my heart gravitates toward, but I want to be like Christ. I, yeah. I, I don't feel like I resemble him in my actions right now. Maybe in my speech I do, but uh, in my actions I want to I, I, I wanna go to those who really have need and not stay here. It sounds like you're not exactly sure what that future may hold, but yeah. I, I understand you have had thoughts about maybe sort of prayer walking in some major yes. cities and just seeing whether God might have something for you there. What, yeah. what do you think that will do for you? What, what will, what, why that particular way of, of looking at it, you know, going to the city and, yeah. and, and walking through it and praying? Well, you know what I get excited about? As believers, we say a lot of big statements like, I would go anywhere the Lord has <laughs> called me. Um, but in the back of our minds, we have an escape route that says, 
uh, but right now, you know, I can't go anywhere because I've got a house payment or I, I just had a child or until my kids are this age. And, you know, we, we almost have this uh, safety mechanism. Yeah, so that we don't actually have to go. See, I, I wanted to put myself in a situation where I really can end up anywhere. Um, and I just want to know that I'm for real. You know, you ever just sometimes <laughs> doubt yourself because we can fool ourselves. And, uh, and, and we can rationalize things and we can almost start believing things that aren't true. And so I'd love to just travel some places and say, Lord, I'm completely free. So if I'm in India and, and I really believe you're calling me there, I can just say, okay, we're staying here. Or I could be in New York walking the streets and going, I think we're supposed to be in this neighborhood. Uh, and, and I don't know if that's what the Lord's going to do, but I just look forward to that type of journey where I really, I don't, I just want to be in every neighborhood and say, okay, would I really just stay here? This is what God's calling me to. Mm -hmm. And I have, I, I have no ties um, other than to the elders at the church because I, I want those ties and I want those men to build into my life. But I, I, I'll go, I want to go anywhere. Do you anticipate that future will still involve writing, uh, producing DVDs. I mean, I, obviously this is something you've done recently. Yeah. Um, DVDs are the latest thing. You've, mm -hmm. you've done a, some of your teaching yeah. in, in that kind of film format that's become quite popular among churches and small groups. Is that something yeah. you feel? You, I you... don't know. I want to surrender that too and say, Lord, I may never write another book. I don't care. I, I may never I may never do another public sermon. I, I may end up in an orphanage that no one knows about. And um, and yet I want to be faithful, God, if, if this is what you've called me to and, and you've given me a platform for a reason, I want to be faithful to that. At the same time, I don't want to be tied to anything. And that's why I haven't made any long-term deals with any publishers or anything like that. I go, look, I, I don't want to say, mm -hmm. okay, I'll commit to five books or six videos. or I, I just want to day by day, if the Lord leads me to it, I'll do it. Otherwise, I don't want that pressure. It's a bit like the incredible disappearing Francis Chan. <laughs> could be. It could be. <laughs> but I mean, what I mean by that, in a sense, is, you know, what, what John says, you know, um, I must decrease so that he may increase. Mm. Is, that, is that kind of where this whole motivation comes from? There's some of that, too. There's certainly some of that where I, if the Lord leads me to that or directs me to that. Um, I, I've told my church before, I don't like hearing my name so much. I said, really, I go, one of the problems in our church is when I hear you talk, I hear the words Francis Chan more than I hear the words Holy Spirit. Mm. And if we're going to go nowhere fast, if, if that's the way we're going to keep talking. Um, and I don't know, I'm so confused about <laughs> some of this where, you know, obviously people knew who the Apostle Paul was and they knew Peter and and, and you see them fighting and trying to, you know, and they're lifted up as gods in these mm. different places. Just reading that mm. in the book of Acts the other day going, gosh, I mean, they were actually bowing down yeah, to these people yeah. and they're quick to say, no, 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 don't you dare do that. I'm just a man. I'm just a man. And so obviously that fight has been from the beginning. Yeah. And, um, and of course, it was Paul who said, you know, some say I'm for Paul, some for Apollos. Exactly. Uh, but he directs them back to God. And that's, yeah. I guess, what you've been trying to do there. Yeah, and I just, it's just such a fine line because I know, I know there have been times 
when pride was just so in me and the Lord broke me. I, I remember one time getting ready to speak at a conference and and there was a magazine on every chair and my face, you know, was like the whole front of the magazine. And, and honestly, there was a side of me that liked it. And, and I remember during the worship time before I spoke, God just showed that to me, just how disgusting that was. And I remember just bawling like a baby, mm. you know, just, oh, what have I become? And I'm just, you know, not little tears. I mean, just wailing during worship. And no one else knows because I'm on the ground. I'm, you know, snot's coming out. You know, I mean, I was a mess. And then suddenly worship's over and they're like, hey, welcome, Francis. And I get up there and I'm just a mess. And he goes, oh, give me a Kleenex. Like you know, and I just had to confess to everyone. I go, I, I've become everything I didn't want to be. And I don't, I don't even know what I'm going to say right now. I'm so disgusted with myself. <laughs> God is disgusted with this attitude that I've had even coming into here. And I just confessed everything to these pastors. And it's, it's weird. You, you, you almost don't see it in yourself. Mm. It's uh, so easy to, to fall into that trap of, I guess, believe it, you know, yeah. uh, living a surface life. But, but in reality, there's a, a kind of pride that's, that's underneath. Thank you so much for the time we've spent together, Francis. I wish we had more time to chat, but uh, I've just loved your honesty and, um, you know, your spirit and the, um, the challenge of what you say as well, which I think will be challenging to anybody who maybe finds themselves in a similar place. But uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, uh, my name's Justin Briley, and I'd like to thank you for joining us for this program on Premier.tv. Thank you.